Good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining us for this February 3rd v. Brownbag US. Um, tonight, we're going to be talking about introducing Microsoft Azure with, uh, with, our, with our presenter tonight, Kevin Kelling. He can be uh, reached on, on uh, Twitter on at blueshiftblog. Oops. As always, you can get in on the conversation on Twitter going to at vbrownbag. Um, using the hashtag V Brown Bag, we can also be found. Um, well, the APAC and the EMEA stuff as well. Uh, again, my name is Chris Williams. Uh, I will be your host this evening. I'll be taking questions um, both in the chat window and on Twitter. And without further ado, let me turn it over to Kevin. Thank you very much, Chris, and uh, good, e good evening, everyone. And thank you. And by the way, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's very, very much appreciated. And give us just a few seconds here, and I will begin presenting. There you go. I can see your screen. And is everybody able to see this? And today, um, I'd like to talk to you about introducing Microsoft Azure. A little bit about this. Oops. My apologies, everyone. I actually recorded some video on here on audio on here. So let me just restart real quick. Oh, I, th I thought it got I thought it got really quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> I was like, uh, your your audio was really loud. Really I was wondering where that was coming from. <laughs> the voice is in my head. Live demos are always fun. So let me just go in here and clear all that, and we'll start over and do that again. Is everyone able to see the screen? Uh, let me minimize this. Let me the control panel up. Is, is my screen coming across fine? Yes, we can see your screen. Okay, so once again, once again, thank you, thank you very much for the opportunity. And um, I'm very. Oh, why is my screen advancing? Back. And um, this evening, uh, I'd like to talk about Microsoft Azure. And without any further ado. Um, a very, very quick background on myself. So my name is Kevin Kellen, and I have over 20 years um, experience in IT doing various things. I've actually been working with Windows in the enterprise since uh, Windows NT 3.1, dating myself a little bit. Um, I've been recognized as a VMware vExpert for the past five years, and I've worked for companies including Dell, Rico, and currently Microsoft. And if you want to reach out to me, my email address is kevin.kelling at Microsoft.com. And it's like they're advancing without me. That's a great feature. But um, well, when, when I started putting this together, um, I, I, I had the idea of going through some demos. You, I mean, all of you are, are a very technical audience. I, I didn't want to get into marketing stuff or any of that. And I started putting this together, and, and it, 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 I kind of felt overwhelmed, and everything was very scattered. So I, I kind of took a step back. And I said, you know what, what would really help make this better is to really start out with an introduction, lay out the foundation of what is Azure, what can we do with it, and get some of those fundamentals out of the way as a foundation. And then perhaps in future, why are my slides advancing all by themselves? I'm sorry, guys. It's all good. Sorry. This happens all the time. <laughs> 
I don't, I don't know if that was if something I did or okay. Um, but what what I'd like everyone here to think about is um, you know what, what I'd like about, to talk about today is an introduction to Azure. I'd like everyone to think about what else would you like to see in future sessions. And so very much would like your input. Type in you know as you watch the presentation and think about this. Um, go ahead and, and type in the chat window what what kind of things you like to, you would like to see in a potential future session on Azure. And just to give you some examples, you know, we, we do intend to, or we're hoping to, excuse me, I'm sorry, do a future session on IaaS, PaaS, a deeper dive in networking containers, some of those things. And there's so many other areas ranging from identity management is a huge area. We'll talk about this a little bit tonight. Um, storage, Azure Site Recovery, that applies to VMware environments too as well. If you, if you want to quickly have, use Azure for, for disaster recovery for a current VMware deployment. Uh, resource Manager, a lot of big stuff there. So. As we talk about these things, please think about what's, what, what, um, what are you most interested in and what would you like to see in future sessions. So what I'm hoping to address tonight is, is just really an overview of Azure. What are the elements in Azure? What can you do with it? What's in it? And um, how does it apply to some of the things we're doing? And, and again, just some of the really brief, some of the categories, there's so many. Um, I'm going to try to do a very quick introduction to IaaS, PaaS, SaaS tonight, as well as identity management, some network storage fundamentals very quickly. A lot of the slides you're going to see tonight, um, I'm probably you know, going to limit to 30, you know, 30 to 60 seconds, but almost almost every topic of that is going to be talking about tonight, there are presentations that are over an hour on that topic. Um, so we're just going just to get some really basic stuff there. And my slides are getting away from me. There we go. So I, I guess the presentation wants me to advance. Um, so right now, Azure is built on a global infrastructure. We have um, actually those numbers are dated. Right now we have stop advancing. Why, why are my slides advancing? Let me fix this from current slide. I'm sorry, everyone. Let me try that again. So right now, Azure is, is built on a global infrastructure. Um, and, and like I said, I think there's 22 regions online and, and um, 28 are planned for later this year. And um, that's actually more than AWS and Google combined in terms of regions, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But on top of that global infrastructure, we have infra infrastructure services. This is your, your IaaS foundation layer. So over on the left here, we have, we have OS server compute. You have your virtual machines. You have your container services, um, your, the biggest key elements in your IaaS. We also have the storage elements. Uh, premium storage is, is SSDs, by the way, in case you're wondering what that is. And we have our, network, our networking elements. We'll talk a little bit about Express Route Traffic Manager, what those are and what they do. But on top of that, we also have platform services. And the one thing you can take away from the slide is that Azure is really, really big. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on this slide, but just if you go through a few things, a few things over here, where's my pointer? Um, I don't know if you, can, if you can see my mouse or not, but um, analytics and IT, there, there's a lot going on. IoT is a huge area with a lot of potential. In fact, um, this is where you're, you're going to have some of your unstructured databases, Hadoop, things like that, and machine learning. Um, there's a couple of different examples from Project Oxford about machine learning that are kind of interesting. Just to give you one example, um, actually the, right now there is an app uh, Microsoft made. It, it's on Android. I don't know if there's an iOS version, but it's, it's called the Mimic Alarm. 
And what what the, it, it, it's actually like the, the most annoying alarm clock in the world. What it, what it does is is you you set the alarm and it will it will ask you to mimic a face or a motion or or, or, or something. And using the camera, it, it will observe you connect connect to Azure's machine learning capability capabilities in the cloud and analyze your actions to make sure they conform with what it's asking you to do. So that that's just just one example of some of the impressive things that are possible with machine learning. Above analytics and IT, we have data. Those are the more structured databases. Um, SQL data warehouse, um, you know, structured databases. There, we have the Visual Studio um, Visual Studio here in the middle. Why? I'm sorry, didn't do that so quickly. And right up here in, in the top center, web and mobile, those those are so those are, those are some of the key components of the, of the PaaS platform platform as a service elements. And just to the left of that, um, we have cloud services and service fabric, and we'll talk about that in a little bit because those things help you to orchestrate and join together. Um, cloud services using those web and web apps, mobile apps, API apps, and in joining them into into more complex um, organizations of those resources, and we can do some pretty impressive things with that. On the left and the right, um, we have a lot of other complementary services. So like over here on the left, you see Azure Active Directory. That is um, a very very huge and important and growing area. Um, it, it is a part of Azure. Oftentimes, it's it's sold and acquired as a part of the enterprise mobility suite. Um, but that's very important, not only for Azure and extending your your internal on-premises Active Directory accounts into Azure for your own internal use, but also for single sign-on to third-party SaaS applications, multi-factor authentications. Recently, had some customers that were that were working on some of those types of, of projects too, as well. On the other side of that, on the right, um, we also have domain services, and that's very interesting as well. This is, I think that just went into preview in November or December, so it's relatively new. It's still in preview, um, but what that is, is that's oftentimes there were scenarios where you would have to, um, it would be helpful to deploy a domain controller, um, an IaaS domain controller in Azure next to your SQL Server or other other elements to, to help with certain things. And domain services is intended to provide all the capabilities of domain controllers, Kerberos, NTOM, Group Policy, all those things, but provide that as an SLA-backed service without the um, overhead of, of maintaining domain control. Over, <clears throat> excuse me, maintaining domain controllers. So that that's a very ex um, service we're excited about. It's also in preview. And back up, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, Azure Stead Recovery. So um, I'm probably talking about this slide way too much now, but I just want to kind of lay out the foundation where the pieces are and um, a lot of the elements that are in Azure. No, this is good so stuff. Thank you, thank you. So um, a very quick over. What is the industry saying about Azure? Where, where do we kind of stand in the industry? And and I, I, this isn't really. I, I'm trying not to be competitive, but I didn't. I want to. I want to level set. Um, you know where where we are, so to speak. And if you look at this, um, Microsoft is able to fill in more dots here in terms of being able to build private services and, and deliver across all these other areas. And on the bottom of the slide, if you look at, these are the magic, magic quadrants. So here we have magic quadrants for the most recent ones for IaaS, for cloud storage, for PaaS, 
for x86 server virtualization and for databases in, uh, on the right there. And in every single one, micro, not only is Microsoft in the leader, leader quadrant, but Microsoft is either number one or number two. And no one else is really has that uh, dominant of a leadership position across so many different areas at the same time. So we're very excited about, about where we are and the position we have to operate from. And um, <laughs> my slides are advancing. This is good. Um, but it keeps me going. So uh, this is a look at our, our current region. So right now we have, hey, stop that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, guys. I don't know what I did to make this uh, advance if, by itself. If, if you want to take um, a second to, to, to kill that, you're, you're more than welcome to. Don't, don't feel pressured to, to jam through it if you, if you want to take a moment to fix that. If you don't mind, I, I, to be perfectly honest, I don't know what I clicked or what I did to make that happen, but let me, let me, um, let me make sure that clear timings in all slides. Maybe that's it. Let me try that. I'm sorry about that, everyone. So, oh, okay. um, jumping, jumping forward from that, um, right now we have we have 22 regions online, and we are bringing on another six regions in this current calendar year, in Canada, in the UK, and in Germany this year. And a lot of you know, and and, and some of the motivations for different regions. There, there's a lot a lot of different reasons for for geographical and so forth and regional, but also what's becoming more commonly a consideration is um, political boundaries and a lot more com um, more companies are, are interested in um, based on, on uh, based on where they're positioned and, and what they're doing they have an interest in you know which which country is my data sitting in that kind of a thing so that's that's one driver behind um, putting up some of these some of these data centers also on the slide um, <clears throat> excuse me a lot of people don't know this but um, at Microsoft is actually one of the one of the top three networks in the world in terms of capacity and um, we again we have uh, many regions and uh, the bottom line on the slide there just last um, September I think we launched the G series the G series is the largest uh, v IaaS VM that's available in the public cloud today and that is 32 cores 448 gigs of RAM and SSD available um, Mark Rusinovich has a demo where he actually um, where he he takes one of the, this this G5 virtual machine and he builds a 32 terabyte logical SSD inside the VM, runs Iometer, and he's able to get a throughput of two gigs per second against that 32 terabyte SSD drive in that virtual machine. So very, very large um, virtual machines are available in Azure. Very impressive. <laughs> Just to kind of give you another idea of scale. So. Uh, I, I thought this was kind of interesting. So um, the, the average space shuttle flight costs about one and a half billion dollars, and um, the heat, moving on to hadron collider, um, almost five billion. And if if you add add that five billion with operational cost of the hadron collider over several years, it was estimated that it cost about thirteen and a quarter billion dollars to discover the Higgs boson protocol. Um, pro protocol, the particle. So one way to look at this is that is that is that um, ten is that ten ten space shuttle flights. The equivalent of that is how much money has been invested in Azure infrastructure to date, and and we're we're already above fifteen billion and growing and, and adding more more data centers this year already. So that, so this gives you an idea of the scale and the immense capital um, that we're talking about when we're talking about Azure. And just a few marketing slides here. Um, don't spend too much time on this, but there is there is a lot going on. 
And um, I, I think, so Active Directory authentications, um, actually I think that we just passed, if we haven't passed, we're, we're close to passing a rate of one trillion active Azure Active Directory authentications every year. Um, 1.5 million SQL databases are running in Azure right now. And um, across all of Azure, I think we're at about 3.4 million compute cores. So just to give it, and we just announced our, um, our, our second quarter results uh, a week or two ago. And I believe that the, um, that the year over year growth in, in Azure in constant currency was like 140%. So we're seeing very, very um, fantastic and exciting growth across the platform. And one thing about Azure is change. So we have had over 500 releases in the last 12 months. Sometimes a release is, is something coming out in preview and or, or um, a release graduating from preview into general availability or GA. And um, there, there, are, there are some, some new things that just in the past, it, it, let me put it this way, it's, it's very uncommon for a, um, for a week to go by and not have at least one or two um, release announcement for, re release announcements for Azure. So very, very rapid, rapid pace of change. Azure is an open cloud, and you know, five years ago, about five years ago, it, it, this was not necessarily the case. Linux was somewhat of a second-class citizen at that time. Today, that is no longer the case. Um, Chef and Puppet integration for provisioning are, are built, into the, built into the platform. The, uh, the Azure Container Service runs on Mesosphere. Um, we have Hadoop Redis Cache. I mean, we, we, and there, there are so many different images, um, Azure certified images, working with all of these companies to um, Docker as well, to um, Cloud, Cloud Foundry, all, all these, these, these vendors and, 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 and solutions we work with. Most importantly, Red Hat um, recently just, I think December, I think, we announced a major partnership with Red Hat um, towards making Azure the premium cloud for Red Hat Linux. Um, the, not not the, the the results of that now the the red hat the red hat images aren't yet on Azure that's coming there there's a lot of different deliverables that are coming out of that partnership but um there will be there will be a lot being released um, during the course of this year along that front there's there's a, a very large amount of, of acti activity on the red hat front so we're, we're very excited about that key point here again is Azure is an open cloud actually I saw a slide and um, I think over over this this past December. Um, the ratio of, of for, for, for new virtual machines that were deployed to Azure in the month of December, I think it was like 67% Linux and 34% Windows, something like that. So it, 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 it varies from month to month, but that, that, was, that was a very particularly impressive month that there is um, a very high amount of Linux being used in Azure. Any questions so far? I'm sorry, I'm just talking very fast. Any questions so far? No, no, um, I, have, I haven't seen anything pop up yet, but you are doing fantastic. Thank you very much. So one question that um, most companies have to go through in their cloud journey as they're going through this is public, private cloud, what do I want to use? And because of, because of the large amounts of capital that are involved in some of the top shelf public cloud, public cloud offerings, most private clouds are not able to 
emulate the level of automation and rich features that are that are available in most top shelf public clouds. So for that reason alone, most most organizations are going to, are going to want to have public cloud in their toolbox. They're going to have it in their cloud mix. So what about what about private cloud? Well, there's still a lot of reasons for that too. Um, Oftentimes, those reasons aren't always technical. Sometimes there's policy reasons, there, there's directives, there's there's legal reasons, um, um, compliance re compliance reasons, many different reasons why certain workloads might not be able to be moved to the to the public cloud, or 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 maybe just a preference, whatever the case may be. So. The bottom line is that we is most organizations are, are going to have to live with both of these. They they want to leverage what's in the public cloud, but some things are going to have to be have to be local too. And we want to be we want to we want to prevent sneaker net and some of those things and and, and kind of like you know get our arms around around things so to speak in, in a more sustainable manner. So. You know, and what's interesting is when 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 you look at this, there's some vendors that look at public cloud and say, well, cloud is over here, and and we do cloud. And there's other vendors that say, well, cloud is over here, and we do cloud. And there there ends up being there ends up being a dichotomy of sorts between those two those two worlds. And sometimes in the in the on-premises space. Um, what, what they're selling is isn't always cloud either. Sometimes it's, it's just virtualization. Now there are there are very good solutions ranging from Cloud Foundry to OpenStack that help you build more, more of a cloud-like infrastructure on premises, and and those things are great. However, now you've got a leg in both ponds, so to speak. You're, you're using private, using public. You've got different skill sets to work with, different runbooks, different APIs, different different operational procedures, and those things can end up become, can end up becoming a barrier that prevent us from being able to extract the full capability, the full value um, that would otherwise be available in, in, in these cloud ops. So how do we kind of break down those walls and, and work through that? And that is something that um, uh, that we are very excited on, ac excited about at Microsoft. Actually, just this past um, was it last week. Yes, last week, we we released the first um, the first technical preview of Azure Stack. So what is so 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 Azure Pack has been out for a while. Azure Pack is based on the 2012 wave wave of products, but Azure Azure Stack um, is is designed around Windows Server 2016. We'll talk about that in a minute, and so. We saw the, the the chart of offerings where you have infrastructure services on top of that, all, all the PaaS offerings and everything else off of the side. What if we could emulate that and offer the same thing on both sides? And you could have the same scripting language, PowerShell. You could have the same portal, the same experience. You could develop your application in in Visual Studio with with the the firewalls, the load balancing rules. Uh, with, with all of that in your application, and when deployment time comes, you can decide. You can make that decision. You can take your your application in Visual Studio and say, and and decide, deploy it on premises, deploy deploy to public cloud Azure. You you have you, you have the option to to write once and deploy anywhere, and that's a very exciting proposition that really no one else in in the industry is really focusing on on that on that aspect of it. Um, most most public cloud providers are really focused on their public cloud. They're not really reaching into your data center, helping you to provide kind of create a, a symbiotic relationship where you can you can have that that common experience and um, across both environments. So we're very excited about that, and we'll um, talk about a few things about that. One of the enablers for Azure Stack is Windows Server 2016. 
And what, what's going on here is that all the things that Microsoft had to do to, to make Azure what it is today, all the, all the R&D, all, all the refinement, all the improvements, what we're doing here is, is nano server and the software load balancing, all these things were built in Azure to allow it to be everything that it is today. And we're taking those things and putting them, what, those tried and proved technologies that Azure is running on, those things are now being moved into Windows Server 2016. Nano, nano server, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. Nano server, for, for just one example, that um, that has a, it has a footprint 20 times smaller than Windows Server Core. Um, the actual footprint is 400 megabytes. In fact, I think the WIM file for that is like 140 some some megs. Very very small, lightweight, bare metal, minimalist um, environment. It, it really cuts down. It not only cuts down on your surface profile for 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 attacks and, and that kind of thing, but the um, the frequency of patching is is dramatically dramatically reduced, and um, also also on a nano server there is no local management. All of the management is done remotely. So um, there's some really neat things, and I, I, and that's probably a whole other hour talk just about that. So I'll, I'll I'll stop talking and move on. But there's there's some really cool things that we're that we're putting into Windows Server 2016 to make that possible. Um, real quick, one one more feature um, in Windows 2016 is going to be Storage Spaces Direct. So this is a, a new a new twist on Storage Spaces that allows you to build a hyper-converged infrastructure um, using Windows Windows Server 2016. And it's built with erasure coding. It has tiered storage, tiered storage built in. And just just to give you one example, the um, and REFS. So that I think REFS was introduced in 2012 R2, and but there's been been some major improvements to it in Windows Server 2016. And just to give one example, um, someone provisioned a 100 gig fixed disk, and it took 17 minutes to uh, provision that. And once they once they implemented the resilient file system REFS. On Windows Server 2016, they were able to provision that in less than one second. What hardware did they use? They used a Levana laptop with a SATA disk. So, and what's going on there is that is that they're they're able to the updates are being made in in the directory table metadata of the file system, so that so that all, all those copy operations that would no longer no longer would normally take place are being offloaded. And so the, the, the implications for this for snapshots and backups and cloning and provisioning, very, very big um, implications for those kinds of activities here um, with, with a combination of REFS and Windows Server 2016. So going on from there, um, what, what features are going to be in, a, in Azure Stack? So the, the Azure Stack preview was released just this past Friday. And um, Azure Stack is, is expected to go into GA general release in the fourth quarter of this year, and the areas um, circled in green are going to be the, are going to are going to be the areas of, of functionality that will, that will be offered in the in the um, in, in Azure Stack. So the compute elements, virtual machine IaaS, container IaaS, and the basic networking elements they'll be there, as well as um, many of the PaaS elements. Um, some of the PaaS elements are, are only going to be there in preview and. We'll talk, we'll talk in a little bit what exactly what preview means, um, but they, they, they will be there in, in, in preview and, and, and they'll, they'll graduate to, to GA later on. But, but the, the whole idea is to give the, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, the, 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 capability, the capability to run the best of Azure, IaaS, and PaaS infrastructure on-premises in your own environment as well. 
So I wanted everyone to think for a second about what is cloud computing. Now, what, what and I'm, I'm kidding. What, what we what do you really want to ask ourselves, right? Is is should we be using the cloud? Of course, we should be using the cloud, and we, and, and we, we don't know the reasons behind that. There, there's so many different reasons. We don't need to talk about that. So, what what I want everyone to really think about as we go through this is how can we the, the key puzzle to optimizing value in the cloud computing is 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 how can we optimize our cloud spend? When when we take a step back and look at our end tier applications, the way we're doing things, our operational processes, and we once we can compare that to what's possible and what's available in the available in cloud providers, um, it, 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 it oftentimes there's a very big gap in, between how we're doing things and how we could be doing things. So the key question is to really think about about what things could I what things could I exploit and take advantage of and use that would help our posture and help us do things more efficiently so that, that we're not wasting money on either on-premises um, or, or, or clouds or, or buying the wrong cloud stuff. How, are we doing the right stuff? And I, I just threw these slides in here real quick and I just want to give a, just a real quick level set in this concept here. So when we all start doing virtualization, the the original motivation and driver, the business driver for virtualization was capital reduction. We had less servers, we had less power, we had less less data center space. And as we started adopting it, we started to realize, hey, there's a better way of doing things. There's a better way of provisioning, there's a better way of managing, there, there's a better way of monitoring, and we began to, to, re, to capture and realize more value moving up the stack in the, in the operational expenses area. And we began transforming away from the cost center model to, you know, really working with with the business and so forth. So taking that same model and applying it to cloud, a lot of organizations start out with IaaS and they get their their feed wet here. And and and, and IaaS will always be around. Don't get, don't, get me, don't get me wrong here, but as you start to kind of evolve in your journey, you start to look at some of the higher tiered functions that are available in cloud. You start to look at PaaS. Um, IoT, um, we'll, we'll get into you know the service fabric a little bit, and, and all these other areas, and you, you start to think about cloud native applications and those kinds of things. So, so most of us are going to evolve from a point of starting out with test dev workloads, our seasonal, our burst work workloads, disaster recovery, and then we start moving production data into the cloud, and then we and then we really start um, you know working with cloud native applications and at that point we're really starting to get to a point where we can step back and look and and start thinking about how are we, is is our use of cloud optimized for our workloads and what our and what we want to do as a business so I I just I just encourage everyone no matter what cloud provider you're using I would just encourage everyone to kind of kind of step back and think about those things and apply that to what you have in your environment today so real quick, I just want to talk about a few fundamentals in Azure. I want to go over network storage compute, as well as the service level agreement. What's what's going on there? What's that? What's that all about? And get into just a, a few fundamentals about IaaS and the IaaS and PaaS offerings available in Azure. So to start out with network. <clears throat> To start out with network, um, th there's a couple of different options for connecting. And this is very common in, uh, across many cloud providers. You can do a um, a point-to-site configuration. This is very common for developers where you want you install a certificate on the laptop and, and and that device they can have a VPN right from that device. Site-to-site VPN. And this is also very common and and it works with the vast majority of VPN solutions. 
And on top of that, we have ExpressRoute. ExpressRoute is a dedicated private circuit that is available through many different providers, and this is going to be your best choice for your mesh MPLS networks. And where is that available? It's available from a wide variety of partners, AT&T and Verizon in, in the Americas, is just to name a few. And um, you can see the yellow dots are the locations where ExpressRoute is available. And we also have many um, content delivery networks distributed across the globe too, as well. And we'll, we'll talk about those. Excuse me. We'll talk about those in a minute. Just to just to show a few, a few very basic elements in Azure networking. So let's say, for example, we have an entire application, and you might have um, some backend servers. Maybe you have three virtual machines running SQL, and that comprises the backend of your entire application. So what you can do on top of that is put the Azure internal load, internal load balancers. There, there's different load balancers in Azure for different different scenarios. This one is an internal load balancer with an, with an internal IP address. Usually a 10 net um, is most common. So so this would be would would be an IP exclusive to your virtual network within Azure. On top of that, you're going to have your web tier. So let's say for example you have you have three VMs and then that comprises your web tier. And on top of that, you have the option of deploying Azure Traffic Manager. Azure Traffic Manager will integrate with DNS so that, um, let's say, for example, your web tier is, is spanned across more than one region. So what this will do is, is, is this will ident identify the region that the client is in and work with DNS to automatically redirect the, um, the end user or the client to the v VM instance in your web tier that's going to be in a region more beneficial to that, beneficial to that. On top of that, there is the content delivery network, and that's where that, that's where you, you can pre-stage and publish um, multimedia files, movies, pictures, things like that. That that th those those website elements that you don't want users to have to traverse an ocean with high latency to try and pull the content down. So that um, so those are those are some of the basic basic elements that are available um, from a networking perspective. And there's a lot more beyond that, but. We're just working on the basics so far. Auto scaling is a very key feature. This is implemented across Azure. <clears throat> so auto scaling. <coughs> and my apologies. I'm having problems with my voice tonight. Um, auto scaling is 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 a feature that's prevalent throughout Azure, and it's it's implemented in a couple of different ways. Um, within a virtual machine, within a single virtual machine, you can have um, that virtual machine auto scale its CPU capacity. And it's it's um and it's um memory capacity based on metrics that you define. For example, you might define if um if if CPU is, is higher than X for Y minutes, then increase um increase by this percent up for you know and 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 you have control over the scale up and scale down how how aggressively you you want to scale up and scale down for those things to to um to maintain and manage the cost of your of your of your workloads too as well. <clears throat> At the same time, not only can you can you auto scale um, virtual machines, you can auto scale um, cloud services and service fabric elements too as well. And what that means is is you might have an application that's comprised of many different instances. And to give you an example of a cloud service, you might have you, you might you might start start with with five instances, and, and so these are basically PaaS instances of IIS VMs. 
and you can have that cloud service automatically provision, spin up based on your templates, more and more instances for the web tier or middleware, whatever tier it is, um, to accommodate any bursts in demand. Um, that uh, and, and and this also works on the uh, on message queues too as well, by the way. So this is this is a very prevalent feature throughout Azure, being able to auto scale on demand. Just a few um, basic fundamentals for storage. Um, so locally redundant storage is going to be is going to be the most economical option, and this means that there are, there are three copies of your data maintained in one region. Now um, zone redundant storage, I'm not going to talk about that because that that is. Um, for a specific use case. The most common use case you'll see for, for across regions is going to be GRS, that is geographically redundant storage. That's, that's kind of like LRS times two, but across two regions. So what you basically have there is, is six copies. You'll, you'll have, you have three copies within region A replicated to another three copies in region B. On top of that, there is another tier for read access GRS and what that that's that's a more that's a more aggressive um, replication scenario, and the in in the secondary site that information is available is is available for reads. So there's a couple of different scenarios where that that might come in handy. One one is if if you're if you're looking at at recovery time, um, RTO. There's a much smaller RTO um, for for region region failovers um, with that model of storage. Another example is you, you might have you might have some data that you want to run some some batch jobs or some reporting jobs against that, um, which are read only in nature. That's one more one other option for which you for which you can do that in a, in a different region without impacting the production data. Azure Files um, is a service, and the Azure Files is exactly what it sounds like. It's basically an SMB file share as a service. So, um, what we, if, if your applications leverage a file share, you don't have to worry about trying to build a highly available file cluster in Azure. That's available as a service. So, th this is SMB file shares as a service. There is a REST API, so there 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 is a, pro a programmable API behind this as well that 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 you can exploit for your applications as well as make them avail available for SMB. And of course, that is that is backed all backed by an SLA. Um, we we do have a question. Yep. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, this this goes back to the um, to the auto scaling. Um, uh, the, the, the question is, how are you able to auto-scale up and down? Uh, everybody knows how we can auto-scale up, but, but down has always been a challenge. Yes, um, you know what, um, if we have time tonight, we can bring up the portal and kind of walk through some of the options there. I, I, I don't know how much time, uh, if, if not, we can do that in a future session, absolutely. Okay. But, but, the, but the short answer is, without, without, having, without, ha without having the screen in front of me, there are options for after after x after x amount of time scale down by this much and so so you 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 have you have some control there over how aggressively you want to scale down after you've already birthed and that's without a that's without a guest reboot right yes absolutely without a reboot absolutely nice So what is preview versus GA? So features in Azure are initially released as a preview. What that means is that, is that there is no SLA, there is no guarantee of service behind them. Only 
only GA services are backed by the Azure SLA. So the recommendation here is, is that is that when, when a feature is in preview, this is an opportunity for you to play with it, become familiar with it, um, um, use it for test of workloads. It's it, it's recommended uh, it's recommended that you not use it for mission critical mission critical or production production workloads because basically 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 in essence it's it's like a beta of the service so there, there there may be some disruptions while that feature is in preview or 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 bugs and so forth so once once those issues have been addressed the the feature will graduate onto GA and at that point it will become backed by the backed by the Azure SLA. What is the Azure SLA? The Azure SLA is that um, is that 99.95% uptime is guaranteed. That equates to over, over the course of a year. That equates to 4.38 hours. So where are the boundaries for this? So what, what's included? Basically, at, at the end of the day, this is the availability of your virtual machine. So that, that if, if if your virtual machine is is not available because of a networking issue in in Azure, or or the VM is just down, or or there, there there's anything within the Azure infrastructure that's that's impairing the function of that of that virtual machine, that will trigger and that will that will trigger the SLA and if the SLA if the SLA is violated, there are there are there are credits and financial comp compensations, and then and then there there's a whole you know long long legal you know wording behind that, but um there's a whole a whole system of of um of credits behind backing up the SLA if the, if there was a very significant outage, for example. So what is not included? So VM container crashes, an OS crash, or Let's say, for example, you you have you, you have an application, but the the load balancing or the, the high availability configured in your cluster was not done properly. That that burden of responsibility is, is on the application owner to, owner owner to maintain that. So what 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 Azure is guaranteeing here is the is the availability of the network and the VMs. To visualize that, um, there are there are fault domains. In a fault domain is a logical construct within Azure. So oftentimes, not always, but in, in most in most cases, that that will equate to a rack. So, for example, um, we have an application that has a web tier and a backend for database. And let's say, for example, that the that one rack fails. So, as long as you have, as long as you 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 define both your IS servers in an availability, I'm sorry, I can't get the words out, availability set, and both of your databases. So basically every tier in your application, your, your web tier, your middle tier, your backend tier, as long as you define each of them as an availability set, Azure will automatically span those across as many fault domains as it can to, make, to, to, to minimize the impact of any one fault domain, for example, i.e. a rack on your environment. And as long as, as long as long as this is done, and and, and your your applications are are in are in an availability group, um, you, you do qualify for the SLA. If, if if your VMs are not in an availability group, the SLA is not is disqualified. Um, and just real quick, there there's there's so much to talk about PowerShell, but real quick, PowerShell is a 
very, very powerful scripting language. And once once you really start leveraging public cloud doing things, your your run books and script, scripts become so much more important. You know, I, I, in my background, I spent a lot of time in in you know in on premises in on premises infrastructure. And and once you start making that transition to to public cloud, those scripts and those run books become so much more important, especially for for um, you know disaster recovery scenarios or 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 redeploying elements of an entire application. So PowerShell and this is the in PowerShell, it's built into Windows, but there are there are, there are, there are hundreds of Azure specific commandlets. So anything that you can do in Azure, from adding a new virtual disk to a VM to you know to creating creating a new Azure blob table or whatever it is, everything is programmatically programmatically again programmatically possible through the PowerShell um, interface. And we could talk for a long time. About that, there's a little yeah, background right. there. The <laughs> Azure portal, yeah, there's a lot. Um, so, so the Azure portal actually, actually just um, this past December, the new portal went GA. So the 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 for a long time there was a classic portal in, in Azure, and for most of this past year, most of 2015, the new portal was in um, preview, and it just graduated to GA. There are so many features um, in the portal, uh, and and so many things. It, 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 it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping I, I have time to walk through it tonight. I'm not sure if I will, but um, there's so many features available in this. And one of the more important ones we want to talk about is ARM, Azure Resource Manager. And actually, I think maybe in the next slide, I think we'll talk about that. Yes, we will. So what is Azure Resource Manager? So up until now, in Azure, it, let's say, for example, you had a a web server and a SQL server in your application. It was up to you to really build the conduit and and the, the glue and connect your virtual network, the the proper storage account, the pro, the proper VMs. Um, it, 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 it was up to you to kind of, to kind of pick the right parts and glue that all together. As a re, as a resource manager is it is a logical construct that really helps us to. Put boundaries around things where they make sense. So there is. This is deceptively simple. At, 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 at the surface, every every um, every object in Azure, for example, every every storage account, every virtual network, every every VM, every PaaS feature, lives in a resource group. But but every but it can only be in one resource group at a time. And what you want to do is, is you, you want to group like elements that share a common life cycle, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But one thing, um, going to the, bo the bottom point here about grouping, one thing that's very important is this is also a security boundary, and you can do some really amazing things here. You can you can delegate access, and and uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but along with Azure Resource Manager, we released um, role-based access control just this past um, in in. in and that allows you to, to delegate and provide more granular access to the elements, the elements in Azure. So now, just to give you one example, you can, you can build a, a resource group with ARM. It's a security boundary. You can identify and, and, and delegate permissions to, to manage the resources. And you can, you can meter it, and, and you can put quotas on it. You, you, you can put rules to say, um, don't allow them to spin up more than X instances. Don't allow their storage account to consume more than X gigabyte, or don't allow the whole entity as a whole to exceed a billing rate of X. 
So you can do some really, really cool things here. You know, maybe you're maybe you're making some resources available to your developer developers, but you want to put some boundaries on on what, on how much they're able to consume. This is a great way of doing that. So what what resources do you want to put in a resource group? Um, so on on the top box, for example, let, let's say you have an interior application. You're very oftentimes the web servers in your application will have a different life cycle from your middleware, which has a different life life cycle from your databases. So, um, in in one example, you, you might have a one resource resource group for your for for the web and web and database, one for your storage storage elements, and one for your middleware. Whatever makes sense, what wherever the boundaries are for common life cycle and management is where you want to, is, is is typically where you'll get the most value from um, from defining <clears throat> excuse me defining a resource group. And just to give um, some more background on that, there's auditing of this. So and this is great because now you can take that resource group which has all its elements into it, and you can look in there and you can see exactly. Who changed what to the, the network in this resource group, or 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 this virtual machine, or or or, or that virtual machine? Every single change within that resource group is audited, and this is a um, a very welcome feature, I can assure you, in, in many environments. Tagging is a new construct that comes along with this. So where where a resource group is a a tightly coupled um, defined construct, the tags are a loose construct. That that can span all these boundaries. So you can tag different networks, and there, there's so many different reasons for tagging for reporting, um, cost accounting, or maybe just, maybe maybe you want to tag different elements that you're going to run a PowerShell script against different things. So tags tags transcend all the other boundaries and allow you to leverage those tags for for scripting, for reporting, for so many different functions. On top of that, um, like we talked talked about, so looking at looking at this, I don't know if, I don't know if my, my cursor is showing up here on the screen, but this um, box here on the uh, on the center right. Yeah, we can see it. And at the very top, you have a subscription, and then you have your resource groups that we talked about, and then those and then the elements inside those resource groups. So uh, again, what you can do is is within that hierarchy, um, you can define role-based access control at every single level. You might want to you might want to give you know maybe there's one person and you only trust them for one element of your of your resource group. You can do that. So this this, this is this is a very welcome and and um, um, this is something we're very excited about because because it, it really solves a lot a lot of problems for for reporting for for quotas for for security and and operational aspects. Um, there's a lot that can be done with this and. Actually, there's quite a bit more we'll get into. With ARM, Resource Manager comes Resource Manager Templates. And in this scenario, um, configuration literally is code. And what you can do here is you can define templates. And as, as you see here, this, this particular virtual machine, you have, a, you have a very specific storage account, a NIC, a virtual network, a second NIC with a load balancer and a public IP. You, and, and, there, and there's many, as you, as you see on the left, there's many more elements that you can, that you can put in this. And actually, if you go if you go into GitHub, um, if you go on GitHub and search for um, the the Azure Resource Manager templates, you you'll see a lot of templates out there. And this 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 construct will allow um, it, it will allow other services to to leverage this to really build your own custom images and 
you know, get to get to the point where if you want to re redeploy a whole application, and, and this is the whole stack, the the storage account, the NIC, all these things, maybe maybe the only thing you need to change is the IP. This is a mechanism that you can very quickly do that from a predefined template. That's really cool. We think it is too. Thank you. So, um, <laughs> so um, I, I want to switch back, and I'm going back and forth here, but I, I want to go into um, IaaS and PaaS just a little bit here. So. On, on the very, and this isn't, I, I picked the wrong colors here, but uh, on, the, on the very far left, <clears throat> excuse me, the far left is packet software where, where virtually, um, virtually at the, the consumer manages the, the entire stack, absolutely everything. So now we graduate to infrastructure as a service, and this is where um, everything up to the virtualization stack is managed by the vendor. So the operating system and everything, everything on top of that is what, is what you, the consumer, is going to be responsible for. Once you get to the PaaS model, the operating system, the middleware, and the runtime disappear from that. And at that point, you're really, on, you're really only focused on your data and the applications. So one, co one common saying that, uh, that, that I hear a lot of is that if it needs a developer, it's PaaS. And that's why. Because you're really focused on developer-type functions, that, functions at that point without having to worry about the operating system, the middleware. All that is managed by the vendor in the PaaS offering. And of course, in the SaaS model, absolutely everything is provided by the vendor. A great example of SaaS would be um, Office 365, Salesforce, etc. So, what what do the IaaS and PaaS elements look like in Azure? So, for for for, for IaaS, the, the basic two elements are the virtual machine and the container. For the PaaS elements, there are web apps, there's API apps, there's mobile apps. Um, we have the web roles and worker roles. Um, they're, they're a part of a cloud service. I'll talk about that in a minute. And um, there, there, there's, there's databases as a service, SQL as a service. So, so you, you can actually get a SQL database and not have to worry about managing the underlying operating system or anything. It's, it's just a SQL database. So in the PaaS offering, there's a, there, there's a couple of different constructs for this. And one of them is a cloud service. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. So what, what you're doing here is, is you, you're developing an application in, in Visual Studio. And from that comes your configuration, your code. And within your cloud service, you're defining web roles and worker roles. Now, behind the scenes, what's really happening here is that a, a web role is really a virtual machine running IS. And a worker role is really a virtual machine running Windows. And within your application, that, that worker role is running whatever, whatever executable or, 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 or process you, you have defined for that role. Um, and, and so behind the scenes, these really are, these really are virtual machines, but that, that's not being exposed to you. What, what you're really getting is, is, is a consistent, consistent, consistent delivery behind those services. Um, so, so, so that what you can do is, is within your cloud service, when you, when you, you know, you, you build it, define it in Visual Studio, and this is very important for idle scale because now you can say, once my, you know, if my message, message queue starts hitting this point, or if my overall um, latency, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, response time is a better example. If my, if my response time and, and 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 these two metrics are equal this, then add more web roles, add more worker roles. So so it it'll actually take your template for that 
IIS instance or that Windows instance and spin up more instances inside that service to be able to grow and shrink that, that cloud service as one logical entity. So um, there's built-in health monitoring, there's built-in auto scale. Also, another feature in cloud service, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm probably talking too fast, I, but um, as I'm remembering these things, um, also, what's very important is that there is a staging environment here. So what you can do is, is what, once you're, once you're, you know, you've pushed your app to production, and now you're developing the next version of version of your app, and you can build that separately and expose that to a different URL, test it, verify it, and once you're ready to deploy that new code into production, you simply have to swap them. So there, there are there are staging slots available to make that, um, you know, test of QA production process. Um, much easier. Now, going beyond the cloud service, there's a whole new service um, that is being offered called Service Fabric, and this is where more and more where things are going to be going. So this is microservices. Now, um, I'll give you a very, a very, a very simple explanation of a microservice is is that it's it's a stateful service. So what we're doing here is is the, these aren't ISVMs anymore. These are these are micro instances that are that are built to be minimalist and serve a very specific purpose. And because microservices microservices are stateful, you can have your the the, the data close to the transaction. Um, and, and, and what what you can do here, and just to give an example, of, you can have full rolling upgrades within your application. You can have automated rollback. So, what you're doing is you're leveraging Azure Resource Manager. You're leveraging the templates, the Azure Resource Manager templates. All that logic, Service Fabric is is kind of the the brains or the AI. It's it's the logic control layer behind all this. So it knows all those things about your application. It knows. Um, what, what, what elements are supposed to be there? How it's supposed to be configured? So, let's say, for example, that one of your web um, one of your your web tier servers just dies. The service fabric will see that and they'll spin up a new one and fix it. Self healing applications. Um, there and and when when you when you upgrade a certain, you can do some really fancy things about about you know a very focused upgrade of uh, uh, a very focused. Incremental upgrade, a rolling upgrade of your of your of, of your application within microservices, and have have the protection for automated rollback behind that, because because again the service fabric knows all those things about your application from your templates, from from your resource groups, and so on and so forth. Um, so we're we are very excited about about the capabilities of this. So what is the Azure Service Fabric? Is this something new? Um, so right now, all of these services—Azure Database, Document DB, Power BI—all of the, the the aspects of Azure Networking, um, Azure Compute, Service Bus, and at the bottom, Cortana. So every time you you do a Cortana search on a on a Windows 10 device, um, it, it, that the backend cloud services for Cortana are actually running on Azure Service Fabric using microservices. So this is not something new. Um, this has been in production for over five years, and the other the other important thing to keep in mind here is that is that this isn't this isn't a, a dumbed down or a you know a, a consumer version of Service Fabric. This is the real thing. This is the same thing that the 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 SDK that's available for this. That you you, you download that that SDK, put it in Visual Studio. It's the exact same SDK that Microsoft uses internally to build all of these things. 
and that same SDK is, is available to everyone to build their own applications using the service fabric. So this this is this is a a um, I, I think service fabric is still in preview if I'm not mistaken. I, I need to go back and look. There's there's so many um, moving parts, but um, th th this is something we're very excited about going looking to the future of what's possible in the platform as a service space. And just to, just to kind of just to kind of give a you know overview of where this all where this all sits. So you have um, bottom right on the left you can have an Azure consistent public cloud. This is Azure, and on top of those layers you can have your IaaS elements, VMs and scale stuff, your VM extensions, and options. You can use things like Mesos Scale or Right Scale for your for your cluster orchestration. You can use Marathon, Cloud Foundry, those other elements for for to build to build your own pass infrastructure, or you can use the Azure fabric. It's open. You have choice as as to what as to what kind of what kind of uh, topology, what vendors, what solutions you want to work with to um, to build your infrastructure and your applications. And just to give another another visual for this continuum. So on on the left hand side, you you, you have the all control over over IaaS, or you have full control over that. And as you move to the right and get into service fabric and and the PaaS element that's that's on top of that, um, this is commonly used in 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 cases where you want to have a very rapid rapidly deploy a very large amount of services in a very short period of time. This is where things like service fabric and web apps, those PaaS elements are, are going to give you the most value. So going back and looking at um, the different elements in the stack in Azure, and to be honest, I'm not sure why I put this slide here. Uh, there's probably something I wanted to talk about, but and, and does anyone have does anyone have any questions about um, some of these pieces so far and where they fit in? So far, so good. Okay, great. Oh, sorry, I was muted. So moving on. <laughs> um, oh, there, no there, is, there is a there is a um, um, a recommendation question from from Matt, um, but I will but I'll ask that after we wrap up. It's 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 actually more of a uh, of a of a future future uh, podcast idea. Oh, okay, great, great. Uh, any any ideas on on future on future sessions or or topics of interest? Absolutely, would love to hear. Love to see what those are. I've got a couple. Thank you. <laughs> Right. So um, Azure Security Center is something that, gosh, this went live in, I'm trying to remember, I think it was September or October, right about then, that this, this went live. This is um, something that we're also very excited about. So what, what we're doing here is, is, is this service will automatically analyze all of the elements in your subscription for security events. And... Um, there, there, there's, there's two different tiers of service. I'll, 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 I'm trying to remember what where, where those boundaries are. I'll talk about that in a second. But um, not only is there is there built-in functionality with, within Azure that um, for your VMs, but there's also also all these vendors here: Trend Micro, F5, Cisco, um, Checkpoint. They, they they can plug into into the Azure Security Center with their solutions for even more integration and more, more functionality around security. 
So this is a very, again, there's, there's like a one hour, there's probably like a couple of hours of different sessions around what this is and how it can be used, but a very brief high-level overview. Um, th this is analytics-driven intelligence. And what we're doing here, we're, we're scanning across everything in your subscription. We're looking at um, compromised machines, failed expo exploit attempts, brute force attacks. Um, are, are people extracting data? Um, is there some advanced malware in your environment? All of these things are being looked at. And what do you see as users? Just as, as a very basic example, there's some screenshots I grabbed. Um, if you look here, you can get some some indications as to which of your of your you know IaaS VMs don't have malware, um, which of them, which of your SQL services don't have auditing, which which uh, how many you know here's ten systems that are missing system updates, um, some systems that are missing ACLs on their on in the, you know they could have some exposure on the, on the network there, and some are pending reboots. Those are, those are some of the basic um, um, availabilities that, that are in the free tier, the, you know the built-in free tier of Security Center. And top of that, there's even things like intrusion detection, um, RDP brute, fo brute force attacks, suspicious RDP activity. So, so th this this service is is just there, and it, it, it's watching uh, watching all of your things, scanning your if it's a Windows system, it's scanning your Windows event logs, it's scanning the, scanning the appropriate logs in, on, on Linux and other systems. So, uh, this is a very powerful system that that can be leveraged to really. Um, Get some grasp of security and events around all of your elements that are in the uh, in the Azure Public Cloud. Identity management. This is a huge area that is inter of uh, some every customer that um, every customer I've I've spoken to recently has uh, products projects going on surrounding these areas. Um, there was one there was one customer that actually that had a had what could have been a data breach, they, they caught it just in time, and they prevented it, and as a result of that, they they they, they realized they they, they had an, an awareness of how important um, security and security was, and they they made very quick moves to implement single sign-on, not only across across internally for VPN and and employees coming in to access um, their Citrix applications, but they also extended that to the cloud, so that when they when they when they would sign into um, to third-party SaaS applications. They could um, they could leverage not only single sign-on but also um, a portal for password resets and also multi-factor authentication. I use uh, as a Microsoft employee, I use multi-factor authentication. Just to give example, if I if I try to VPN into the office or if I go to a a non-trusted computer and I try to bring up bring up the Azure portal, I type in my credentials. What what immediately happens is a a, a message is sent to my phone. And then I open my phone. I type in I, I type in the pin on my phone, and then I, and then I'm allowed in. So I I, I I type in my so I, my first factor is my credentials that I type in, and then that engages a second call back to my phone, and um and and a, a, another pin that I enter. So that there's probably maybe even more than two factors in play there. So but it, it, even though that sounds complicated, it's really easy to use, and it, it is I I, I can. And it, it it really is not a burden, and it's it's actually a pleasure and very efficient to use. Um, being being completely honest and forthright there. So there's so much going on in identity management. No, I wish I, I'm not sure how much time we have to talk about that. But what what's often done here is you have your on-premises Active Directory, and you can you can deploy ADFS Active Directory Federation services on-site, 
and from there you deploy Azure AD Connect. So what we used to have there um, is is DuraSync and, and, and you know some, with Office 365 there were there were DuraSync and, and some other products that came from that. Just this this past summer summer or fall. Um, Azure AD Connect was released, and they really wrapped up a whole bunch of different products and, and made, made that bridge connection, that bridge connection between ADFS and the Azure Azure Active Directory, much more efficient and easier to set up and manage. There was also a health check built in there to alert you to you know, um, if the service is not functioning or, or there's some suspicious activity going on. Um, real quick, what did I have here? I, this, there's a couple different ways of doing authentication in Azure Active Directory, and I don't want to spend too much time on it. That's almost a different presentation, but um, you can do a password hash, and you know it, a password hash is okay, but under, understandably, there's a lot of companies, a lot of organizations that don't want, for security reasons, then they're, they're not comfortable with it. And what what we see is the most common topology is is federation, where ADFS is deployed in between as a secure token source. And from there, we we have we have um, we have identity identity synchronization and federation through that service, which is more secure, a more common topology. Um, there are thousands of applications, SaaS applications, predefined in Azure. So when you you know you don't have to go through all the pain of setting up those those SAML connection strings or whatever whatever method they're offering. A lot, many there are thousands of I forget the number, but I know I don't want to say a number because I don't want to get it wrong. But there are thousands of SaaS applications already predefined in Azure to connect to for um, for single sign-on. And oh yeah, this is this is a very quick slide that, that kind of visualizes through the multi-factor authentication process. The user um, will initiate their connection to the third-party SaaS application, and from there, the user um, will get a prompt on their phone, and that goes back to Azure Active Directory. And once it once it passes there, it goes back into the application. Oops, I went through that too fast. I'm sorry. Um, I think that was so. There you can see the elements, the 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 the, the, the different authentication protocol or the communication authentication protocols on the left, sample to, to your cloud apps, um, different protocols that are available for that. Um, another quick service I wanted to mention is the Azure Backup Service. So with the Azure Backup Service, you can back up um, on-premises Windows servers, physical Windows servers, but also also just this past past fourth quarter. Um, Azure Backup for IaaS was launched. So now all, all, all of your Windows and Linux VMs that, that are running as IaaS VMs in Azure, you can back those up using the Azure Vault service. And all, all those features you expect in, in a backup product, scheduling, retention, throttling, incrementals, compression, encryption, granular restore. And you can lever it, depending on, the, depending, on, depending on the storage account, you can span reasons for this for, for even more reliability and durability. So there, there's a lot of the options in here um, for backups of, of both on-prem and Azure IaaS VMs. Or you can work with um, one of our third-party partners. Veeam is a very, a very popular backup product, and they are, they are, they, their service is already pre-populated and predefined on, uh, on Microsoft Azure. And you can, you can leverage their, their, their Azure-based service as a repository to publish your Veeam backups into. 
um, cloud-based storage of your backups. <clears throat> um, Azure Site Recovery. This has been this has been a very popular feature, and and um, we this is available for VMware environments. And this recently went through a very big overhaul. The, the, the first introduction of Azure Site Recovery for VMware, it required a lot of servers and the, the, there, there, was, there was a lot of overhead, there was, there was a, lot of, a lot of excessive overhead in terms of the amount of servers and, and the operation overhead that made it um, a less attractive solution than it should have been. The solution has been completely overhauled just this past quarter and um, I believe it's a single server configuration now um, and it, it's, so it's much easier to deploy. And what you're basically doing here is there a, do I have any animation on there? Yes, I do. Um, so what, what you're basically doing here is 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 this will connect to your existing vSphere infrastructure, and you can configure the replication of of those VMs to Azure, and also how to handle disaster recovery situations and 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 the runbooks and some of those things in there too as well. And you can also use that in a burst scenario. Let's say for example you have an on-premise on-premises application in VMware and you might need some burst capacity in the cloud. This um, th that that feature is available in here to kind of um, logically extend that along with the replication and DR function that is available in the in the, in the uh, solution. And again, that's the, that that's probably a, a full one hour deep dive into that feature alone. <laughs> hmm. um, so we went through a lot of stuff. I'd, um, I'm not sure if I'm behind. Am I? Yeah, we went over on time a little bit. My apologies, but um, as you think about this, there are so many different ways to leverage cloud computing. Whether you know in the public cloud, in the private cloud, hybrid cloud, and you know there's so many different types of IaaS and PaaS and all these things. So think of take a step back from your you know your entire applications and think about your operations. How am I using things today? And what what are some ways that I can improve? Even if it's just you know disaster recovery, burst. Uh, whatever, whatever scenario, um, very often times there, there's, there's a better way of re-architecting our processes and our applications to make, to make them work better for us. And um, right now, if, if anyone goes to, oh, I'm sorry, if anyone goes to azure.microsoft.com right now and, and creates, an, creates a free account, you, um, that free account will automatically be granted a $200 credit towards uh, consumption in the Azure cloud. Nice. So at this time, um, if we have any time, if we have any, any any time available, I'd like to open the floor to um, any questions that may have come in. Uh, so uh, one of the questions was, um, and this and this is like the the, the follow up um, presentation was, any chance we might see a walkthrough slash setup of a new pass and IaaS Azure environment for a at a later date? Yeah, we would love to absolutely, and I. I had hoped to have some colleagues in this call, but un unfortunately, we have an internal internal um, tech ready conference going on, so a lot, so there weren't very many people available this week. But um, I'm hoping to to round up a few folks, and what I would love to do is have a session focused on IaaS and a session focused on PaaS, and and as a part of that, walk through the creation of those elements, um, both in the Azure portal and also from PowerShell, so that, that, it, that and, and we, we, can, we can do a live walkthrough and, 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 and live discussion back and forth yeah, about awesome. um, various scenarios. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Okay, uh, that, was the, that was the last question locally. Let me double check the Twitter feeds. 
and I, th I think we're good. I, I, th I think we're we're in the clear. Well, thank you, very, thank you, very, thank you very much, everyone. I appreciate the opportunity, and um, hoping to um, be back soon with more content. Excellent, excellent. I'm going to go ahead and click uh, stop record now.